0: Hi, my name is Adam Pettis, and I'm a senior, uh, a homeschooled senior, and I've been going to Salem Youth Group for about six years now, and it's been a roller coaster, as you can see, even from just this year. But the results of these repetitive ups and downs have done a lot in shaping who I have become over these years. Um, And I think that really applies to everyone. Um, The twists and turns that take place in life significantly play a role in the person that you become. And that is why, in this malleable reality kind of that we live in, it's important to have something objective to stand on, the objective truth of the Bible in the case, in this case. And that's what I strive for: um, an objective, something objective. Um, so a little bit of background about me. I accepted Jesus as my savior when I was about 12 years old, but I really didn't have a yearning to follow Christ until about a couple of years ago, and what I plan on sharing today is a little bit about what I've learned over those past couple of years. More specifically, um, I'm going to share what I learned, what I have found it means to live for Christ. So, what does it mean to live for Christ? I think Paul does a pretty good job in his letters um, to the churches of that day on what it kind of means to live for Christ. I think 2 Timothy in, sp- in particular has some good stuff to say, and I'll take a couple of verses from there later. But the theme verse for what I'm specifically talking about today is 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So what does it mean to be ambassadors for Christ? Well, pretty simply put, we are representatives here on earth. We represent the Lord. This means that when people look at our behavior or the way we speak or behave ourselves, uh, we speak as representatives of the Lord. And this is a big responsibility that we have. We can't really do this well if we aren't reconciled to God. Now when I had thought about this, I had reflected how am I being an ambassador for the Lord? Certainly whenever I rely on myself for any of this stuff, I fall pretty miserably short. I think Acts 1-8 has something pretty good to say about that. And it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the world. So we're not empty-handed in the slightest. We can see that God gives us the resource of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be good representatives for him, to be good ambassadors for him. So we can do it through the Holy Spirit that he gives us. So how do we represent God well? Well, this can look like several things. Um, generally being loving, the golden rule, is a pretty easy one. <laughs> Just love your neighbor as yourself, but above all, love God, and have that, the love of God influence your actions. Um, I think something that even double, doubly reinforces the Holy Spirit is Second Timothy 1, 13 and 14. It says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ. So make sure that you are loving and having faith in Christ, not of anything of worldly um, of worldly roots. That good thing, which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So he's telling us, you know, keep by the Holy Spirit, pretty simply put. Another little illustration that I like um, Paul uses, a little later in 2 Timothy, is he describes our Christian walk or our following of Christ as a spirit, as a war. Uh, it says in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please, that he may please Him, who enlisted him as a soldier. So we have we will have many battles in our spiritual walk. But um, <laughs> sorry, we'll have we'll have a lot of battles in our spiritual walk, and these battles can look like many different things. They can look like bad things. I know in my life, they've taken the form of lust, stealing, and lying. But they can even take the forms of things that are okay, or even good things. Uh, Things that are okay, like social media, sports, video games. They're not bad things of themselves. I think everybody's heard this. But they can go extremely bad when that is what you are rooting what you are doing in. But the most interesting one to me is that even good things can become pretty big distractions if they're taking the forefront of your life. Things like theology in my life and even people um, getting confused or um, really thinking about these theological big questions. I know for me, a while ago, it was the idea of, is there free will or predestination? Now, that's a whole other cam of worms. (laughs) But at the end of the day, does that affect how we are being ambassadors for Christ? I would say absolutely not. (laughs) When we take those things and put them at the forefront, then they can take away from ourselves being good representatives of Christ. So, overall, as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ regardless of our actions. I'd ask myself, am I being an ambassador that is glorifying to him? Because at the end of the day, that's really what matters. When I was living with any of those things above God, I wasn't. It's pretty simple like that. It wasn't until I came to an understanding that God needs to be at the forefront of my life. He needs to be above all of those things, and all of those things need to put, be put behind it if I want to serve him well. The rest of those things are just distractions. So, the question that I want to ask you guys is, are you being a glorifying ambassador to Christ? And if you don't know him, I implore, to ask you, I implore you to ask more questions to people who do know him, who are good ambassadors of Christ. Are you being an ambassador that glorifies Christ? Is anything taking the place of God? Or are you allowing and asking the Holy Spirit on a daily basis to help you to glorify God?
1: Hello, my name is Luke Sikink, and I am the youth worship leader for our youth group, Um, and I am a sophomore at Davies. Now, Adam was talking about how we are supposed to be God's ambassadors, and since we are his ambassadors, we are his ambassadors because he's the only king. Let's declare that truth now, that he is our only king forever.
2: Please stand and join us for worship.
1: We You are young. you are the only king forever, forevermore, you are victorious.
2: You guys can have a seat.
3: Hi guys, my name is Hazel Stryker and I'm a freshman at Parkerson School. When I was little, my parents, who are a math professor and an engineer, would jokingly tell me that I had two options when I grew up. I could either be a mathematician or an engineer. <laughs> In typical five-year-old fashion, I decided that I would be an astronaut instead. But my curiosity in science has only grown. In November, I went to the reality conference in Minneapolis with the youth group, and one of the sessions was by J. Warner Wallace and was titled, Is Christianity Anti-Science? Well, the short answer is no. Christians have been involved with the sciences for an extremely long time, and there's no reason that now Christians should not be involved involved with discovering the intricacies of God's creation. Historically, Christians looked upon science as an honorable field to dedicate one's life. Many great and highly influential scientists were believers, such as George Washington Carver, Catherine Johnson, Sir Isaac Newton, and Mary Anning. The 17th century astronomer Galileo said this, the Bible shows the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. This quote shows how the Bible's focus is our need for forgiveness and how Jesus provides that, not diving into every detail of the natural world. There isn't a chapter in Mark about microbiology, but that doesn't invalidate the Bible or the work of scientists. Sir Francis Bacon, the founder of modern science, also discussed how science and the Bible are separate but harmonious. He called them the two books that God has written, the book of scripture and the book of nature, of his creation. But what is science? Francis Collins, the former director of the National Institute of Health and the leader of the Human Genome Project, describes it as getting a glimpse of God's mind, which is a beautiful thing to be, to be able to see even a fragment of our God's incredible handiwork. He also views his work in genetics as glorifying God, like Psalm 19, one through three says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. The heavens declare his glory. And when we explore the heavens and the earth and everything around us, we are seeking truth and proclaiming his majesty to the universe. Our worship doesn't stop in this room. It extends to every aspect of our lives and even to the laboratory. Collins has also noted that as a scientist, sometimes you get the unique opportunity to discover something that no other human has ever discovered before, but God has always known. Again, this gives us no choice but to be left wonderstruck at his wisdom. So when you, when you look up at the stars on a clear night and away from the city lights, you can see around 5,000 stars with the naked eye. The ancient Israelites would have looked up at that same sky and they would have been in awe of God and of the vastness of his creation. However, modern astronomical research shows us there, that there are over 200 stars billion, trillion stars in the entire universe. That's a two with 23 zeros. That's massive. (laughs) And the crazy thing is, scientific discovery has gone beyond just counting them. When ancient peoples looked up at the night sky, they could only see pinpricks of light. Now we know that those tiny pinpricks of light are gigantic balls of fire that are light years away from us. The Hubble Space Telescope completely changed our perspective of the universe showing us things such as black holes, colliding galaxies, nebulas, and star fields. This demonstrates how scientific discoveries can reflect the immensity of God in his awe-inspiring creation. It all points to his glory and his power, and it helps us to understand him better. Now, the final purpose of science is to take care of others and of the earth, Scientific breakthroughs have helped us to improve agriculture, communication, our quality of life, and to combat disease. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God has made us the stewards of this earth. And scientific research can provide solutions to problems we face in the world we live in. As a high schooler interested in science and who wants to be an engineer when she grows up, I appreciate the many scientists and those involved in STEM fields in our church who have impacted my understanding of God through his natural world and who have impacted my faith in Christ. And I will close with some lyrics from the song Invisible God by Andrew Peterson, which express the longing of scientists, artists, and all of us as we seek to know God better. I give you praise, O oh great invisible God, for the moon in the space of the dark night, for the, for the smile on a face in the sunlight, your power eternal, your nature divine. All creation tells the tale that love is real and so alive. Invisible God, I see you in the long, cold death that the winter brings and the sweet resurrection spring."
1: Creation declares the greatness of our God. Let's praise the Lord together because his name will echo through eternity.
2: Please stand and join
3: us.
1: Behold the risen Lamb of God. The cornerstone, a solid rock, Jesus, your name will echo through eternity. The one that hell could not contain, the one who left an empty grave, Jesus, your name will echo through eternity. Precious is the one who bore my sin. How beautiful the hands that drew me in, the Savior of the world. The one who's not contained by time or sin. who lit the stars and knows my name. Oh, the Savior of the world, the Savior of the world. Behold the risen Lamb of God, the corner of solid rock. Jesus, young name will echo through eternity. The one that now could not The one who left an empty grave Jesus, your name How oh, beautiful the song that heaven will sing. Forever lifted high we let it ring The song of the redeemed The song of the redeemed Behold the risen Lamb of God The cornerstone of solid rock jesus your name will echo to eternity the one that hell could not contain the one who left an empty grave jesus your name will echo of power the cornerstone a solid rock jesus your name will echo through eternity the one that i could not contain. the one who left an empty grave jesus your name will echo through eternity jesus your name will echo Your name will echo through eternity
2: you guys can have a seat hi I'm Leah Jost I'm a senior at Park Christian and I'm going to talk about worship this morning so what do you guys think of when you hear the word worship For most of us, including me, we think mostly of the times at the beginning and the end of every church service when we stand up and sing songs together. In this case, it was in the middle of the service, but you know what I mean. (laughs) And we're right in thinking that. Music can be an expression of worship, and it can also inspire us to worship. But corporate singing isn't the beginning and end of our worship of God. In fact, it's not even the majority of our worship. We don't worship God only once or twice a week. It's not how it's intended to be. Any moment that we are fully focused on God, surrendered to Him, and declare His character and love, whether out loud or internally, is worship. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In this verse, Paul urges the Roman church to worship, and he doesn't even mention music. This verse tells us that whenever we sacrifice ourselves, our physical bodies, our minds, and our hearts to God, we are worshiping him. We can be inspired to worship by so many different things. God's creation, as Hazel talked about, scripture, sermons we hear, art, or experiences we have. And Hazel and I were on the same wavelength this week, and we are using the same verse. So I'm going to read from Psalm 19, which is an example of nature causing David to praise God. It reads, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So, why do we worship God? Back in Romans 12, Paul calls our sacrificed bodies holy and pleasing to God, so we can know that God is pleased when we worship Him and acknowledge His greatness. And God is worthy of our praise. He is the only thing that is worth our adoration and worship worship recognizes that God is infinitely better than anything else we have known, including ourselves. We know that God is able to do and has done more than we can ever ask or imagine. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11, it says, For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? God is so wonderful and glorious that we can't even grasp it. Yet spending time meditating on his character and majesty is part of what we were created to do. Along with who he is, we also should remember what God has done, both generally for the world in sending Jesus for all of our sins, and personally, in our personal salvation, the struggles God has taken us through, and the good things he's blessed us with. His faithfulness has been demonstrated in all of our lives, and it will continue forever. How can we not worship him? We can worship God without fear. We will never find anything less than perfection in Him. We don't need to be afraid of sticking out because we worship differently from others, and we shouldn't put His worship into a box for only once or twice a week and miss so many opportunities to praise Him in our daily lives. Our worship of God shouldn't depend on others, and we shouldn't let anything scare us away from God's presence. We worship God with our lives, thoughts, and actions, and God is part of every moment of our lives. Not just when we listen to or sing worship music. God wants to meet us where we are, any time and any place.